Hello. Hello. You're listening to Talking Tunes, and joining me online today is Iffy. Hi. hi, hi. Iffy, Iffy, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm really good, buddy. Just away with the family at the minute. Uh, my brother's 40, so we're in a cottage in down Lincolnshire, enjoying some of the mediocre weather. Time. Summertime vibes, man. It's always the way. Get away, enjoy a bit of music, and uh, keep away from the rain, right? What's the weather like where you are? Yeah, it's been a bit of a miss. There was a bit of sun today, but we managed to get like my little controller out in the deck, so my little kid earlier on, a little bit of a mix of him and stuff, which was good. Ah, good stuff. Uh, yeah, so talking tunes, um, first tune, Scott Brown, now's the time. What a solid opening tune, right? Yeah, this has been one of my kind of absolute favourite tunes since I first got into Braving, basically. I sort of got into hardcore, I think in like 96 or something. Just through mate showed me it, and then um, I started going out, uh, Helter Skelter and stuff like that. And I just remember this tune from that kind of period, just sort of getting rinsed absolutely everywhere. And it kind of feels like over the years, even though a lot of happy hardcore old tunes have faded a bit, this one still feels like it is, you know, as good as it ever was, basically. So yeah, I wanted to kind of throw this one in. This tune, hot and fresh, never gets old. And uh, what's your son think of it then? He's out there DJing. Is he playing a bit of hardcore? Is he playing a bit of gabba? We've done mainly silly stuff so far, to be honest. So I started him out back in the day, it sounds daft, but all we used to listen to in the early days was like kids' remixes, donk remixes of like nursery rhymes and stuff. And, you know, he started getting into all that kind of silly, kiddie flavoured stuff. Uh, And yeah, so he's he's been into it since then. So when we've been playing, we've done a couple of little sets out and about, and he's playing a mixture of the kind of silly donk and hardcore remixes of kid stuff, basically. So yeah, he loves it. Brilliant. Six years old, already DJing, following his dad's footsteps. He's got a great DJ name. Uh, DJ Train Tracks. DJ Train Tracks. Yeah, he said next time we go sort of back to back when we're playing out, he wants us to be called DJ Train Tracks and the Wonky Wheel. And I'm the Wonky Wheel and he's, he's DJ Train Tracks. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. See, I think we might actually be playing a night called Silly Sunday, which is on a Saturday at the Beehive Inn in, in Shipley um, in September. So yeah, I think we're going to go back to back there. Brilliant. The time. So tell me, Ify Hype, where does that name come from? What does it mean? To be honest, my first DJ name was Dead Shearing, <laughs> which I really loved and I sort of regret changing from it. And uh, at the time I was mixing, like, well, still same sort of thing, a variety of stuff, and I was playing loads of kind of like ambient-y sort of slow weird bits, and I didn't think Dead Shearing would work across them all. And for some stupid reason, I was like, maybe I should change it up and have something that's... And I ended up kind of coming up with Ify Hype. Uh, and then, yeah, now I look back and I'm like, Dead Shearing would have been pretty good. And I don't use Ify Hype for the kind of ambient chill stuff anyway now, so sort of, so yeah, so it kind of came about, uh, I think I went through about 15 names in about three or four weeks, and yeah, if you had was on that stuck. It's always a way, isn't it? You go through all these names, let them sit with you for a bit, and then uh, just see what feels now. Now is the time. So why Scott Brown? I mean, apart from the fact that it's a pure Stone Cold classic. Yeah, I mean, instant classic, like I said, it feels like it still is as fresh as it ever was. And and it doesn't quite feel cheesy. It feels stomping and kind of still uplifting. It reminded me of that set uh, when Scott Brown played the Queen Vic. Was it the Irish takeover that you'd arranged? That's it. That was it, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that set he played there, that kind of bouncy Scottish techno thing, was just like a dream come true for me. I've seen him play loads of sets all over, loads of kind of different eras, different label sort of things, but I've never seen him play that. So that was like one of my all-time sort of favourite sets of Bang Face, and, and that tune, when it kind of came on, I remember losing it on the dance floor to that. Yeah, that was a particular request we asked him to play that style of music. Certainly one of my Bang Face highlights was uh, doing that takeover. Except that Scott, I've probably told this story before, but Scott checked in with Artist Liaison and all the rest of it, but I'm like on the stage, I didn't realise he checked in yet, I didn't realise he was on site, and I'm like, yeah, Scott Brown sets in 10 minutes, where is he? So I went off and got find the bank face crew, I'm like, where's Scott Brown? They got on the radio and all the rest of it, and there's a bit of panic, like, where the fuck's Scott Brown? It sets in five minutes, four minutes, shit, where is he? And he was at the bar, and he literally just turned up two minutes before his set, and goes, all right, so plugged his USB in, and off he went. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, what a legend. Yeah, legend. What I like about Scott Brown and that whole Scottish bouncy techno scene that happened, I mean, it was around the early 90s, you know, Jungle was just making its way into the world and, you know, Happy Hardcore started coming about 
The happy hardcore is alright, but the stuff that came up from Scotland, all that bouncy techno stuff, which just a little bit harder edge to it. Ah, oh, so much better, so much better. I loved it, you know, rather than all the cheesy, you know, piano in the sky, rainbow, lovey dovey unicorn stuff. I can't get into that. Yeah, completely. It was the first sort of style of music I think that I absolutely loved. That like my parents, my mum and stepdad didn't like. You know, like up until that point, I'd liked a lot of tunes that they were into. And then when I found that style of hardcore and that kind of stuff, that was when they were like, nah, we're out. And it, so it kind of has that extra little special bit, bit in my life, I think, in terms of its influence. So yeah, the, the last time I heard The Dawn out in a club uh, was fairly recently. We went to a kid's rave called, uh, well, it's called Rave Kids. It's like Andy Whitby's night. It was in Sheffield. And the last set of the night, or last set of the afternoon, there was a DJ on, like a 12-year-old kid, and he played like an old hard house set, and he played The Dawn in that set. And that set happened to be in a club that we used to go to 23 years ago, listening to hard house back in the day. So for one beautiful moment, like me and my eldest were like in the same spot we've been in, you know, 23 years ago, partying to the same tunes so it really did feel like you know um, again a, a kind of point the beauty in time oh beauty in time sounds ridiculous i've recorded it staying in yeah all right it's staying then like yeah. <laughs> now this track the uh, Tony DeVitt track. This is Tony DeVitt. That's his name. The Dawn. Like nine minutes long, 12 minutes long or whatever. I put it down to like five. Why are we going with Tony DeVitt? Tell me about it. After I started going to Happy Hardcore events, like I said, Skeletorian, I think 98, 99, it was 99. This friend that dragged me to that dragged me over to Gatecrasher in Sheffield at the Trance Club. And I, I basically just got instantly hooked on that then, the kind of culture, the kind of crash of thing, which is cheesy as it sort of seems now. I ended up moving over to Sheffield for kind of the trance and hard house scene, which was kind of uh, the after party. So Gatecrasher would be open until 6am and then after hours, hard house clubs would start from then. And this track just kind of reminds me of that perfect cross over kind of the trance and house kind of world I used to hear it getting played all over the shop and it, yeah it just I ended, like I said moved, moved out of house when I kind of found that and went over to Sheffield to live for that kind of thing and it, it just feels like a, a moment in time kind of period for me that I didn't realise Tony DeVitt's from your neck of the woods I, I thought with the name of DeVitt he'd be from like Germany or Holland or something he's actually from Birmingham right? Yeah, so yeah, over from Birmingham, um, and I, I, I think he died just before I started going out clubbing. Yeah, 19, 1998, yeah, unfortunately, aged 40. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and it's really sad. I watched a documentary actually on YouTube about, it was like, I can't remember the name of the magazine, but it was him showing people around his studio, and just the amount of gear he had in his studio, the variety of stuff, you know, the kind of manual way of putting tracks together back in the day, it was just kind of my blowing to watch I highly recommend anyone who's in the kind of production go and kind of check that video out but just to see a studio is next level and all you needed though was a laptop some pop music and a donk donk sample right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah cat fail Uh, yeah, so this next one is uh, Cortina, Music Is Moving, and it's the BK and DBM Amber remix. And this was that moment for me when I kind of really found a deeper kind of enjoyment out of Hard House. Like I said, I started off in the kind of trance space over Gatecrash and we started going to Insomniac, so I started opening. And it just felt a bit more raw, a bit more bouncy, a bit more energy to it. And it reminded me of what I kind of loved in hardcore. That kind of just buzziness that kind of came off it and yeah this was kind of one of those kind of first tunes I found it was actually the first tune of me and my fiance as well who I met uh, in the queue for Gatecrasher nice uh, back in the day, what they'd do is we'd effectively turn up if we couldn't afford to get in or it sold out with just no tickets and hang about outside. And people would eventually throw the fire doors open so all the regulars could kind of come running through. 
and uh, we were out waiting for that to happen and someone got chased out the door and we jumped over the barriers and we ran in and we met each other kind of as we were sort of busting through the doors she got caught by security and I didn't and then yeah we kind of met there and, and this was our first ever sort of tune you know like a joint tune our tune sort of thing um, so yeah it kind of holds a special place in my heart she, I once actually saw her run and jump clear an entire table full of drinks to get to the dance floor for this back in the day so yeah it's always that was a special one <laughs> So you've been to a lot of different clubs, a lot of different venues. What would you say would have been some of your favourites without naming anything beginning with B? <laughs> yeah, I went to see uh, Autaka at the Barbican. That begins with a B. Ah, no, the Barbican. Do the characters like that? Yeah. Oh, the Barbican, all right, okay. <laughs> Autaka at the Barbican, go on, go for it. <laughs> Uh, as a venue it was just incredible Uh, and it wasn't like a rave as such but just to walk around in that kind of brutal space and see it and then as you went and sort of sat in on the seats you had to experience it in pitch black so all the lights were off and everything was completely dark and the first time the kind of bass just rushed over me almost burst out in a fit of laughing I just couldn't control it and it was just an amazing venue an amazing kind of experience of sound Uh, so yeah that would be one of my favourite venues I think love that feeling when you're at a rave or whatever it is and just everything just feels perfect just perfect moment and just perfect feeling it's so nice yeah it's a real like it takes you away from the real world yeah, and it definitely felt like that or that Oteca gig. It felt like you could just completely get lost in it. I thought, I didn't think it would be a bit of a gimmick, but when I got there, it was actually great. Sat on some nice comfy seats, weird, interesting building and all that kind of happening. It did feel like an alignment of those perfect things. And you went to Help the Skelter. Was that the one that was in Milton Keynes? Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to two events there, two, uh, two Help the Skelters. And I think, like I said, I think it's 99, one in May, one in October. My mate had been banging on about me going for a while. And I think I must have been 17. We went down on the coach and it was just instantly when I walked into the main space and saw the kind of madness you know glow sticks and unfortunately whistles and horns which I've heard recently in clubs sounds terrible but you know back in the day <laughs> people enjoyed it didn't they yeah I never went to the sanctuary in Milton Keynes because I, I kind of thought oh this is rave it's going to last forever I'll get there at some point and then by the time I ever sort of thought about getting around to it um, yeah it all sort of ended it was a shame but such is life you know you got to grab it while you can and, and don't, don't take it for granted the closest I've seen to that since then I think um, was when the resurrection came back I was at the 20th anniversary or something a couple of years ago and it was the same big scale sort of UK hardcore happy hardcore kind of vibe the, the, the atmosphere of the old days but just the production was like something you'd see in Europe you know some big event it was just really well done I think they're doing another one up in the same venue I'd definitely recommend that if you want to check that vibe that, is that up in Glasgow or something it? Um, it was at some like industrial thing outside Glasgow yeah, yeah. Uh, we, and in fact, we, I think it might have been near Edinburgh but we got the we stayed in Glasgow and we got the bus over yeah whistles and horns I used to think they were amazing back in the day. I had a whistle myself. I was, I was part of the whistle crew. That's <laughs> a bit. Oh god, it's really old now. Yeah, same. But yeah, you see now people with whistles and things like that. Thinking, yeah. Mate, just shut up. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the things that really brought it home to me was we went to this kids' rave thing in Sheffield recently with my my eldest, who I mentioned before, DJ Train Tracks, and uh, there was kids with whistles there, all blowing the whistles to the music, and I just was thinking, this is terrible, you know, nothing is worth destroying and drowning out the music, but the kids were loving it, and I was like, I've been there, I can't really say oh. In your eyes I see your broken soul and there's nowhere for my spirit to go See the light that burns inside of you And I know that I'll be close to you
so this one, Paradise, See the Light, the Siren Unknown remix. This, as I was kind of going through the art house phase, and it was still hardcore, happy hardcore, new hardcore, we listened to, but it was kind of, you know, we weren't really going to rave into it. And then eventually went back to college and went to uni, and I went through this kind of period where I barely went raving at all, but I still listened to like bits of hardcore at home. And this was, it felt like this was the tune that kind of connected me to the feeling of going out and about, and it became a bit of an anthem for me and my my mates that were going out at the time. So yeah, I wanted to just include this one as a point in, in my musical journey. Yeah, it's a lot of, uh, we've got about three or four tracks on there, what I'd call sort of euphoric trance. That's something that would sit with you, I don't know, as a description. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, I feel like one defining thing that across all the genres I like is that kind of trancey, uplifting, euphoric energy. And I, I'm constantly looking for that in different genres, you know, one, one form or another, where it's breakcore with those kind of bits on. And yeah, that kind of po- almost poppy singability to some of the kind of stuff, you know, that the kind of melodies, that's, that, yeah, I'm sure it's that sure. But then you fast forward into 2000 and whatever it is, uh, with some newer stuff in the next chemistry and the outer space tune. So yeah, nice little dose of euphoric trance, just about as much as I think I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting some serious music, which is great. Yeah, so with this one, when I, when I got into this kind of UK hardcore phase again, I started going out to like hardcore till I die, those types of events, uh, and eventually got into going to hardcore till I die in the sun, one of them in Lorette de Mar, one of them in Magaluf. And at that point, I'd never really heard about Makina. But after we'd come out of the club, we were walking down the beach, and there was like a little jetty thing, uh, and there was some ruckus underneath it. And as we kind of went to have a look, there was loads of ravers underneath this like ditch underneath the bridge coming down to the beach, banging tunes out. And they said, come in. So we climbed in. And then when we sat yeah, chatting to these kind of Geordies there, they basically introduced us to Makina at that point. That was the, the first kind of times I'd heard it. And recently, I feel like, again, some of the best kind of tunes I've heard have been Makina tunes, especially Chemistry. The mix that Chemistry did for you as well, I've absolutely rinsed that one, absolute beauty. But it, it just feels like someone whose tunes kind of encapsulate that, that, that vibe, that feeling that I liked when I first got into hardcore, like energy, uplifting, driving. So yeah, I wanted to include a, a Makina tune, but like I said, no one's smashing it in that space for me more than chemistry at the minute. Without that chemistry, love all the stuff he's making. It's got that sort of bouncy, uplifting bass off the off the note, as it were. Yeah, originally from Spain as well, Makina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, that was one of the things that was interesting me. You know, how did it end up Spain and then just a bit of the northeast? You know, just the fact that it was that kind of concentrated in that space. I was. Yeah, how did it end up in the northeast? That's a really good question, isn't it? Maybe we get chemistry on it one day and we'll ask him. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I do a thing with this tune as well, Outer Space. I just recently did a mix uh, or a set at Hyperbop that was a space-themed uh, event, uh, and they'd got a, a beautiful kind of backstory of kind of how the event kind of played out. And the setup put together for that was kind of an opera, space opera, hardcore, Makina, Donk Tech. Um, and he tried to tell the story of a particular kind of experience, some hero. So I tried to put the set together in a story. And the first track that I thought of when I thought, you know, what's a mix of that? Space going to include is this one by by chemistry. So yeah, I've been absolutely rinsing it recently. Yeah, diamond. And you're pronouncing it Makina, not Makina. I've seen some people calling it Makina as well. So I guess Makina. That's how we pronounced it, right? M- maybe. Yeah, that's how I always said it. But it could be either way. Well, you're from up north, so you know you're probably probably surrounded by people that say Makina. <laughs> yeah. We need to so get some someone Spanish in here to help us out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the other one, there's another little reason why I wanted to include this track actually in the mix. So earlier in the year, in February, my son, my youngest son, got really ill with uh, strepsis and strep A. And yeah, he was in a really kind of bad kind of place. And we found out he was ill the Friday night. And it was just as I was coming home from Alton Pompen. And uh, I'd heard Sad Bit Sally play a set there which is absolutely incredible. One of my absolute favourites, again, got that same sort of vibe as chemistry in terms of feeling. But she played a set that was so good that when when I was kind of at the hospital ill and there was nothing I could really do, you know, he was just kind of in ICU. Uh, the only thing I could think of, and it's out of character in terms of what I normally would think, but is, you know, sending some positive vibes because the scientist to me says positive vibes don't really make a difference. But I was like, that's all I've got left at this point is to try and think positive things. And I was playing the mix that Sally posted online to try and give myself the most positive energy that I could almost, you know, beam to him sounds ridiculous. But yeah, my brain went to a weird place and it was the kind of music and, and this tune and that mix that, that really kind of was a, a driver to get me through that horrible bit, basically. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Music's definitely something you can always listen to to lift your spirit and, and 
and make you feel happy again or, or to, you know, as you say, give you a positive vibe or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The scientist in you would say, hang on, this is, this, if this isn't reproducible in, you know, in a lab, how can it possibly be true? But then, then you see it with your own eyes and you're kind of thinking, well, maybe there is something to it. I don't know. It, it sort of just felt like, you know, you just do the things that your body or mind are kind of doing to help you kind of get through it and go with it, don't you? It felt like a soothing experience. Give me the energy to get through I needed, but yeah, it felt like a soothing, calming, familiar kind of feel to it. Yeah, and when your kids are not well, that's the worst in the world, isn't it? Because you'd quietly take it yourself and be in there in this place, but you can't and there's nothing you can do. It's tough. Yeah, it was an interesting one, but I tried to keep my mind busy while I was at the hospital. One of the things I did was I made the artwork for one of the National Disco events, one of the best ones I'd done, and it was just been able to sit at the side of his bed and just try and focus my you know, active mind on something else, something productive. So I felt like in a weird way, it sounds mad to say, you know, I learned something about myself, but it, it felt like on reflection he's come through it completely fine and healthy and we've kind of made it through, so I was like, yeah, it feels like I've got to look at the positive in the experience, I suppose, if that makes sense. So between chemistry, often pumping with DJ sets, sets, spit Sally, and heart rave posters. Did you think about suggesting to the doctors rave therapy? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my, my eldest, when he can visit, he was trying to put his little tunes on at the side. Um, and he's played some sort of silly bits and bats. So I think, you know, a silly donk therapy kind of, you know, I could definitely do a therapy set of silly music, I'm sure. I always like the idea that if you're ever in a coma, you know, the idea you're in a coma and you put some headphones on you and play some music to wake you up out of the coma. I mean, I could think of a great track list that would get you out of it, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I used to go visit this lady with Alzheimer's, I was a befriender. And um, one time she said to me, oh, my CD player's broken. Can you kind of help me look at the CD player? It turned out it wasn't broken. It just wasn't kind of plugged in properly. So I plugged it in, asked what CD she wanted to put the music on. As the music started playing, she said, thank you for kind of helping me remember who I am. And for a, a bit of moment, the music that we were playing helped her brain kind of unscramble. And I always think, who is going to sit there and listen to the rubbish that I listen to now to help kind of unscramble my brain? I mean, no one wants an hour of like turbo donk, do they? Do you know what I mean? They're normal people anyway. <laughs> Yeah. I could see myself eight years old, you know, in the old folks' home, still trying to do the hacker, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zimmer frame hackers. Yeah. <laughs> Some speed call. <laughs> so we're into Golly Teen, Say Nothing, Say Nothing. What's this track about? It, again, it encapsulates that kind of energy, the kind of uplifting, euphoric, you know, sing-along factor that I mentioned. I kind of love from some of the earlier hardcore stuff. And, you know, Gully Team for me is another one of those sort of people that I see around, like I said, with, you know, chemistry and with Sally, where every time I listen to the set, it just feels like complete and utter vibes. Just bouncing energy. You know, it feels like it's a thing. And when I first bought this kind of Makina pack off of uh, Sam, there was like um, a little note in it that kind of explained where some of the tracks came from. And that just attention to detail not just kind of sound the track but a little bit of a almost a little mini bio on each of the tracks are really nice and uh, yeah when I first heard it I ended up I was in the supermarket and I kept going right back to the beginning play it again right back to the beginning and I found myself just not doing any of the shopping I was supposed to be in the supermarket to do I was just listening to the tune on repeat yes yeah, so I messaged them straight away and just said I'm trapped in a loop I need to turn it off and yeah we'd laugh
Next track is Jackazid Take Me Higher, the S2I8 remix. Again, Jackazid's absolute legend. The music I've heard of his and the music I found through the compilations and stuff that he was on has completely, you know, was a game changer in terms of the music that I'd kind of loved. Again, back to that kind of bouncy, happy, loads of energy type style a lot of the time. But also, like I said, he kind of introduced me to a lot of Japanese music because of some of the kind of compilations that he was on over there. He once told me, um, I think when he made Silic Bang, he said that the uh, Japanese really liked it and he ended up kind of flying out to Japan to do something with that, that particular tune. And I think that's how he kind of got linked into a lot of the Japanese scene, which I always find an incredible story because that was, a, again, a classic Ad House tune from back in the day that I loved. So the fact that Ad House and that tune opened that up always amazed me. Um, but yeah, this particular remix is the S2i8 remix and S2i8 is a Japanese producer. Um, again, absolutely super talented, captures that old school bouncy energetic dong kind of vibe but you know super kind of fresh production so yeah I've, I've been written loads of these tunes as well so this was a kind of perfect combination of styles this for me <laughs> try and put it together so that this was in some sort of chronological time order but I quickly realised after I'd done that kind of start out bit that the music is just all over the most of us found in most spaces the more it kind of crumbles into a hard to put together a sensible story chronologically. Yeah I kind of like when people pick tunes chronological time kind of comes into it a bit like first tune I played big influence on me blah blah type of stuff totally into all of that but then sometimes you've got to put stuff in that you just like you know what I mean? Yeah yeah What's this Is Dead thing that keeps in? Yeah, so Is Dead started off as uh, an internet kind of Facebook um, page where I just posted various random images. And then kind of over the years, it's kind of developed into a different things. So we had the Dead Stream, which was, we started just sort of way, way before lockdown, but it was live art, VR art, all sorts of kind of stuff like that. And then music and then workshops in the day. And we started running those kind of series. And a kind of crew of people kind of come together with all different styles of you know interest and, and, and specialism. And, and did some kind of cool stuff there and, and his dead fest kind of fell off the back of that which is I was putting an event on in Ulverston um, at this place called Felfoot Wood and the kind of ethos is it really is kind of it's a DIY micro festival sort of vibe where anyone wants to do anything whether that's perform do a silly show do a workshop um, you know any, anything basically uh, we get people to throw ideas in and then we try and facilitate as much of that happening as possible so kind of use all the kind of skills and, and resources we've got between us to kind of make that happen and yeah, last year was the first time we did it and it was absolutely incredible. Loads of kind of weird art, loads of my performs. There's a guy at Felford Wood called Barry the Baptist. He was a 79-year-old wood fella who happens to be a crazy performance artist. And he, he, at the end of the night, he takes everyone down into the woods and baptises people, all these kind of flaming torches and stuff. Really kind of interesting guy. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. And we basically we try and build out as much of that kind of stuff as we can. We, last year we did a, a piece where we had four speakers dotted about in the woods with uh, different soundtracks made by uh, four different people, one picking up say, percussive elements, one noise, one samples uh, in terms of like uh, found noises. And, and we built something 20 minutes each that you could play and put around. And then as people move through the woods, they effectively mixed the sounds together and they kind of found a space where they could kind of mix those bits. So yeah, we, we try and building the kind of installation like that through the woods. We tried to have a, you know, a mix of, uh, of what goes on. And it really, depending who comes, depends on what it kind of looks like really. So it's quite an interesting project. Must be a lot of work organising. When's that happening? It's first week in September, so it's the sort of mainly the Saturday and Sunday. Like I said, there's a good crew of people that I've met through Deadstream and, and that kind of space and through going out that are all kind of happy to kind of chill in and kind of contribute to some bigger collective thing. So loads of people kind of throw in their time and resources and I sort of try and kind of keep it on track. But yeah, we, we, it's, it's been really fun to do. And um, I think just that kind of random nature of, you know, you're relying on who comes to kind of shit. The kind of programme always kind of feels like a nice way to do it. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to see what people come up with. You know what it's like organising any sort of gig, and the bigger it gets, 
the more work it becomes and yeah it's tough going so appreciate you taking the time to take this call anyway i imagine you're thinking counting down counting down counting down right yeah yeah we're, get, we're getting really close now and we, we were kind of stuck in with some kind of logistics really you now into the how we can make the bits happen that people want that bit about you know when it grows it's a really great point because it feels like there's a limit to how big it goes before you lose a lot of the kind of personal elements of what we're trying to do so we've not gone mad on trying to you know publicize it too far we try to kind of keep it as a small collective thing where everyone gets a chance to kind of input and be involved but you know it's definitely growing a little bit each, each time at last two anyway so we talked all the way through Caroline Polachek, Ocean of Tears. Tell me a bit about that track. Yeah, so this for me again is one of those kind of extremely sing-alongable, poppy, kind of loads of energy kind of tunes that I've, I've kind of liked from all of the different sort of bits of stuff I mentioned so far. And yeah, the original tunes are, are an absolute banger, but I've loved a load of the kind of production and remixes that Umu's done. And, and this just really feels like it's got that kind of old uh, hyper-pop kind of vibe, but done in a really danceable kind of way. There's, there's a bit like just before the vocal kind of uh, drop where there's almost like a screamy vocal kind of added to it as well. I just absolutely love that every time. And then into this little spin back just before the drop and it kind of feel the almost the tension of, of the kind of tune at a little point. And it's just got so many nice little bits of detail in it that, yeah, I just kind of go mad. And now we're into how you pronounce this one? XJ9? XJ9, is that right? XJ9? Yeah. Yeah. Now, XJ9 is one of probably the first people on my list who I'm like, right, I've got like a mental in my head. People who never played Bangface that I feel should definitely be playing Bangface. And XJ9 is absolutely one of those artists. This tune, I think, is on Nightclaw for Total Sluts. So that, you know, amazing label in itself. But what I found XJ9, I think, just released before this, and it just instantly had a style of its own. Absolute banging, you know, hard, a variety of kind of sounds and stuff. But again, that kind of real pop sensibility, along got a little nice kind of flow to it and just to kind of chop and change between different styles yeah and it just absolutely blew me away so i'm instantly like right that is straight on my list of someone i'd like to see there and i think glass bang face i know um there's, there's a fair few people that were absolutely rinsing it as well mock it is another one that was kind of played some stuff and i think we posted say you know i think i shared a clip of this tune going down so i could see it and loads of people are going i played it i played it as well and it feels like it's someone who's kind of blowing up that should definitely be in consideration i would definitely recommend you check check the workout yeah, but they had the Microsoft Total Sports Takeover paper, so I guess that would have been the opportunity to get the person on. Yeah, maybe. I, I think XJ9 is based in America, so maybe there's a kind of cost implication of flying them over. Ah. But yeah, it's definitely, I'm sure, one for the future. You should do Bankface in America. It makes a lot of sense given how many people are uh, into it over in America and how many artists are in America that would be great in the lineup. Bankface America, that'd be, that'd be worth flying over for, right? I would fly over for that, I'm not going to lie, yeah, I'd definitely go over for that. I'd like to play you a piece of music called Stay Away From Me by the American chart toppers Smash My Brother's Face In. Now this one is gorshit, right? More crabs than you ever even know. Yeah, so this one's a, a Gorshit tune. Kind of got to know Gorshit through that. But I found his kind of work like a, a, a fair bit earlier and loved the kind of oh, dance core kind of fast ravey remixes stuff he'd done. But then stumbled onto some of the kind of funny bits like this. That obviously takes the samples from that Brass Eye episode, which I've recently watched back and he's kind of still hilarious. But yeah, it just has that ridiculousness to it, that, you know, and that kind of bouncy kind of dog vibe to it. Um, I suppose the one time I did play this probably slightly inappropriately by accident, uh, I played this event called 
Saturday, Sunday in Keighley and I played it. It's one of the, I think the first time I started to play a proper silly set of just silly music. And I, this is the kind of opener. And yeah, it was, I didn't realize it was a bit of a family event and it's not, not you know, necessarily ideal lyrics for a family event. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it's a great tune and it was a, a good early introduction to the idea that some of the kind of stuff I'm going to play might not go down so well. In that event, a, a woman came up to me and said, uh, your music's too, too silly, too silly. And I was like, well, you're at an event called Silly Sunday for the start, what are you expecting? But also, you know, it's going to keep on going probably worse than this one now. And then later on, she comes up and she was like, it's, now it's too hard, it's too too banging. I was like, well, you know, it is what it is. And then after my set at the end of the night, her husband came over and he just said, listen, son, I don't know what that was. I've got no idea what's going on. I'm not entirely sure I liked it, but it was a thing and I appreciate that. And I was like, yes, I've sort of reached him a little bit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, just a tiny bit. Uh, so yeah, so she, she didn't quite enjoy it, but I think he did. Watch it, love this guy as well whenever you get to meet him. Uh, chat to him for ages and, and all the rest of it. And the whole yeah. Uh, yeah, really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, him and his wife, because it's a resident for us at Nashi Disco. All right. He's one of the people where, again, I feel like I'm learning just watching him play, do you know what I mean? Like constantly looking over, seeing how he kind of does stuff. And as well as being an amazing artist, just like you said, just one of the loveliest guys I've ever met. And he's, he seems to be wife cat again, is amazing. I'm, they're actually having a wedding rave in Sheffield on the 30th of August like a post-wedding rave, which is going to be an event. I think check gosh, it's page for it. But me and Mocket are going to go back to back for the first time out and about. Brilliant. And there's a right lineup. There's Hitori Tori, uh, Hurt Deer, Gate System. So yeah, Sheffield, 30th of August, that one. You've mentioned Natashi, Natashi Nishi, I'm going to mispronounce that horribly, so... Nanashi Disco. Nanashi Disco, tell me about that, what's the story? You're doing that with Holly, right? Yeah, so it's mainly me and Holly, but again, this is another one of them kind of events where little communities kind of forming and, you know, it becomes really helpful with stuff. But yeah, it's predominantly me and, and Holly that run it. And I think it came about when we were a fractal after uh, uh, Holly Analysis and we got chatting about our mutual kind of love for kind of Japanese music and Holly's mainly into, or not mainly, but is really into kind of Viz K, Visual K and the kind of J-Rock stuff. And I'm into kind of the more J-Core and kind of Britcore stuff. And we got chatting about it with, with Ellis and we said, we should just put a night on where we can get to play some of the stuff that we don't really get to play anywhere else. And yeah, we started an Ashi Disco. And the first couple that we had were, uh, we had, you know, kind of little computer game uh, project on projectors. We had visuals, a decor that Holly had made. And it's quite quiet and it, it was kind of finding its way. And then after about two or three, event it really started to find a proper solid community of people that came I think each time we've done it recently there's some people flying internationally over for it the last one we did uh, a couple had flown over from New York just for the night in Leeds and then we're flying back a few days later and I was just like I can't believe people are flying over for you know not to undermine what we did but you know it feels like crazy to fly over obviously sorted them out with some free merch and some beers and that and I was like yeah just coming over but yeah it was like one of them where it feels like it's found a, a bit of a thing now a bit of a community and it, it it's growing every time and it, it, the, the, the the crowd are always completely open for any style of music and normally I've played sort of slightly faster more banging sets there um, and a, a few events back I ended up playing like a slower more experimental weird bass sort of thing and I was a bit unsure I would go down with it not being too ravey but they were going as mental with as much energy to that as they were to the hard stuff so whenever I go now I just feel like I can just play whatever any kind of mad stuff I've found and it feels like friendship it sounds cheesy in it, but friends sharing tunes with other mates rather than it be a big event. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it feels good. So when these Americans came over, do you have an entrance fee to the gig? Because it feels a bit weird that they've blown all the way and you go, oh, it's 10 quid to get in, mate. Yeah, I mean, these guys have got tickets in advance, but I said to Ollie, I said, I feel like we should be like going, if you're flying in from abroad, don't pay us the, you know, seven quid or whatever it is, just walk in, you know what I mean? Because that is some serious dedication to be flying abroad to events. But that seems to be the kind of, you know, we tapped into people who are that into that kind of music. And I think that was, uh, it was Gorshit, uh, Hurt Deer and DJ Kieran Echo on that lineup. And that, that was a dream team of people I've been wanting to kind of get over for a while. But because it's a lot of kind of people that in the States have seen on the internet and stuff like that, you know, through 
streams, they were like, wow, I can't believe this is a real event. And they kind of come over to that, really. to the tunes we're in a bit of a spider phase of your music journey yes so when I started playing the kind of silliest stuff as I mentioned before and the silliest sets I just found that it was like a little outlet of stuff that I didn't have before and I, I got more and more into it through kind of lockdown played stuff out and about before but through lockdown obviously there's loads of streams of silly stuff going on you know the Dusty Bang guys the Super Nothing TV lot and it was just kind of silly stuff all over and you know it almost turbocharged my desire for just nonsense you know as I mentioned I started doing some of the kind of sets with Seth where we were playing uh, remixes of kids tunes so we had, uh, you know, Hacker did a, a version of Grand Old Duke York that was released on the Yes Cruise records. Petrol Hawes did Baby Dong. And then, yeah, stuff like that. So basically, for, as we were growing up, it was those kind of music. So the minute I found this, I was like, Sophie's going to love this. And I think it was actually Sophie Bubble 7 who played it on this TV stream. So instantly I was like, right, I've got to get that. Seth's going to love it. And yeah, I've, I've been playing it out in my sets. It just feels like it's got a really good, actual, genuinely good quality rave tune. But just did that bit of nonsense. And I'm, you know, all for that. We love you, Spider-Man. We do. We love you, Spider-Man. We do. We love you, Spider-Man. We do. So that was Joy Speed, Itsy Bitsy Spider, and this one, which is going to be hard to talk over, South Yorkshire McHucknell Spider-Man. So this one, again, was one of the kind of first tunes that I'd showed Seth when we were kind of, you know, playing tunes that I thought I'd like. Becoming like an instant classic in our house to the point where we've almost destroyed many a tea time meal by, you know, this ringing out around the, 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 the kind of kitchen table. Seth's got this thing about if we're playing it, we're driving about it down, he wants to wind the window down so he can hang his head out the window and he can give it a bit we love you spider-man and yeah it just has been like a staple in my set i think when i saw um south yorkshire mccucknell at bang face and that whole lost his usb thing i was like wow this is taking like silly to a you know an amazing level seeing the kind of performance stuff and up to that point i suppose a lot of the sets that i was doing I was playing silly stuff there wasn't really much of a performance element in it it was just playing tunes and watching what was going on with kind of other crews who were doing through online and seeing those kind of things in the event maybe want to incorporate more kind of physical audience interaction stuff and uh, yeah this is kind of one of those tunes that encapsulates that sort of perfect in-person silly vibe I was at Bang Face a good few years back and Girlfriend of the Year and Spinny were doing Back Back in the Queen Vic and they played uh, Three Lions you know Three Lions on a shirt football song I was doing my usual thing at the back standing at the back doing doing the chin strokey train spotter stuff and I'm like wow this is really kicking off in it it's really kicking off and I'm like hang on Three Lions isn't a race song yeah and I actually saw that uh, I was there for that as well oh cool yeah and it made me just think it, for a little while it transported me to a slightly different place you know what I mean because it was so out of context to the other stuff I felt like I was down the pub and the World Cup was on or something it had that kind of vibe to it and that kind of transporting someone to somewhere else you know through a, a switch into something you know ridiculous obscene yeah I love that yeah and very brave move as well to play three lions international audience and all that lot and it's like yeah I don't think I'd be brave enough to do that as in to completely change it because what happens if you play it and then the fucking new members you know yeah, yeah, I mean, it's one of them where it's almost a compliment in itself, isn't it? But, you know, it's one of those kind of weird things where 90% of the time people, especially someone at Bankface, are going to be into any kind of nonsense out there. So I actually, when the last um, World Cup or something we got knocked out of, I'm not a big footy fan, but England was sad for some reason. And uh, yeah, and I'd actually done like a slurred and reverb sort of version of Free Lions where it's just played at like 40%. If you think that's nonsense, you should check that little version out where it is kind of extremely silly. I did a, I asked to do a gig like, um, it was an arts council 
after part announced council meeting after party that of any of my mate runs called Fusing Bradford and um, I did like a silly kind of performance set and uh, it was when Gary Lineker was banned by the BBC for saying some sensible thing and they were saying he shouldn't be saying that I've got an England top that said solidarity with Gary on it and then I, when that tune came on I played that opened the t-shirt and I've got all this kind of face paint and I started painting my face all white it's all dribbling all over I just looked up at people that had not used the silly music and it was just me in an absolute mess with that all kind of slowed down I was just like at that point you've just got to kind of suck it up aren't you because they're going to have to get through it somehow <laughs> Playing off and from earlier in the year, then unfortunately your boy was sick in hospital, and then you went to Bankface and played Bankface, right? Yeah, it was a slightly awkward one. You know, Bankface has literally been my dream since I walked in the door to play there. Like my number one thing outside of family that I wanted to do is play Bankface, and I was just so buzzing that that had kind of come through. And I think it might have even been like a couple of weeks after I found out I'd been booked. Then yeah, Ralph got ill, and I was like, you know, I know there's a lot of other stuff going on, but back in my mind as well, it felt like shit. I potentially lost a bit of that, and in the grand scale of things, that is nothing any different for your kids. But for a little while, I didn't know if I'd be able to make it through. It depended on kind of how his recovery went. But when I was putting my set together, I just it felt like it was. It sounds cheesy to say like an ode to the things I'd heard at Bankface, but it was a collection of like some of the things that I've, I feel like I've found somewhere on the line through Bankface. I've been influenced by something that's kind of linked to it, and it was just all of the things that I love in that place all in that kind of set basically so yeah it, it was good to turn some of the hard time into a positive driver for what I wanted to do and you absolutely slayed it as well mate absolutely slayed it oh cheers it was definitely on my list of people to definitely check out and I did and uh, got, still got stickers still got stickers as well you ended that to me as well so thanks for that oh yeah um, <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah what a thing bank face I think uh, every year I come away from it I think oh that was the best bank face ever I think the last one was definitely one of the best bank faces ever as well um but Jeff, Bankface, I want to say, you know, name a venue that doesn't begin with B. Of course, you've also got Bolta and you've also got Boomtown. Boomtown wouldn't really rate on my list, but Bolta, you uh, doing stuff at Bolta as well this year? Yes, for a little while I'd had what I would say in the colour of the four Bs on my hit list of things to play. So Bankface, Bolta, Boomtown and Beat Herder. And I managed to get to play um, Bankface and Bolta. I did Bolta with the SMTV lot, which was absolutely a beautiful experience, actually. So many amazing people, so many cool things going down. And then I got to do Beat Herder, did visuals, and I was going to play on uh, the Acid Morris dancing, uh, for the Acid Morris cruise kind of setup, which would have been good walking around uh, playing with those guys. And then, yeah, Boomtown kind of came about, and a couple of people offered me sets, but because I've been out so many weekends, I was like, I can't, you know, be on another weekend of family time again. But I nearly ticked off all the kind of four Bs, whereas now I'm like, right, next year, Boomtown, I'm definitely, that's the new goal, is to play the next year, I think. That's cool, cool, cool. Well, well done on all that, mate. Well done. What we talked through a couple of tunes there, I think, didn't we? Yeah, DJ School Vomit. So this is DJ School Vomit, uh, Ronnie and his shooting starfish. Again, you know, I had to back to my kind of happy hardcore days. You know, I said a lot of tunes, I think, back in that day, just the shine worn off them and they came a bit cheesy and Shooting Star was one of those tunes where as much as I loved it back in the day, quickly I just was a bit almost slightly embarrassed by it. There was one time when we were um, at the Skelter and the bus driver had said, everyone back at the coach at 6am because we're leaving at 6. And I tried to argue that there's going to be one song after they finish at 6. Can we get back a quarter past and he was like no six on the dock we're going so I convinced loads of people on the bus he's not going to leave without all of us is he so let's stay for the last tune and he's not going to leave us they hadn't played Shooting Star in the main room all night and then the very last tune they played is like one more tune was that so we all stayed for Shooting Star went mental and then when we got back to the bus the bus driver basically sodded off and left us so I convinced loads of people to get stuck in uh, Milton Keynes 
such is life it's worth it though right oh yeah yeah I mean that it, you know those are the, again the moments that kind of shape you like trying to get back from Milton Keynes as a 17 year old with, with no resource but it was it's fun and this DJ School Vomit remix of it it felt like it pumped some energy and give it some amazing that restored in my head what the original felt like um, and I was just dying to play that when I played Bang Creator put that in my set as well just it feels like a great nod back to the, the beginning sort of thing and Soundbad from Liverpool, Shoebelt, Breaking and Breaking, which again we just talked all the way through. Yeah, so I mentioned before, I've got like a little list of people that I absolutely want to see at Bang Face that I haven't played yet. Shoebill for me is number one. Like, Shoebill's got to get there. The tunes are absolutely incredible. It just, again, pulls all that kind of fun, the silly, the banging, the interesting. For me, it just feels like perfect Bang Face material. So yeah, they're right at the top of the list. So you try and look cool and hip and uh, with it, and you've gone with a Barbie tune, right? Given the Barbies in the cinemas right now. <laughs> yeah, so this was uh, another tune that I put in the bank for a set that I was like, oh, I cannot wait to play this one. And yeah, I mean, the Barbie tune, you know, Barbie Girl has been a, a classic tune, you know, since it was released. But this just feels like, again, just pumped in some extra to it, all the kind of breaky elements. It just feels like that perfect mix of familiar and sing-alongy and but also just crazy. And the, the great thing about this tune is it's kind of split into two sections. So there's this bit, and there's the bit in the middle where there's the kind of speaking bit, and then it falls into something else, which isn't a remix of Barbie, but again, it's just almost like a beautiful, hardcore, breakcore kind of crossover thing, loads of energy. This is one of the tunes where when I played it at Bang Face, I was almost not able to control them. I just screaming, and I was like, oh God, concentrate on what I'm doing. You're gonna you know, mess up if you don't bring yourself back together. ね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね
There's different cool shit go over to America and do a bit of a tour. I know he's with DJ Sharpnell, and I think he did some work with Little Kevin 303 as well. So maybe some sort of connection there that maybe might end up in playing Bang Face Little Kevin. Yeah, well, that's how we basically got kind of hooked up with Lil Kevo. It was through Gorshit. Because I don't know if you've seen, but it's well worth looking on YouTube. There's uh, Kick on Fire Records, another amazing label. They did some video interviews where it's just Gorshit talking to Lil Kevo for free. And they're, they're brilliant. There's one of them where they're talking about the quality of kind of computer game music back in the day. And, uh, you know, how some of like almost, you know, great techno albums in their own right. And we'll press up the vinyl and stuff like that. And yeah, it's a really great conversation. What I am going to do though, now you've pressed the fourth because we've talked through so many tunes Void Boy, Neuromancer, ADHD Core, and two minutes. Come on, go summarize it. Yeah, ADHD Core, Void Boy, Neuromancer. You know, obviously not a tune made by Japanese people, but it's kind of got that perfect style of Japanese influence, J Core styley bits, but with a lot of the kind of great stuff that I like from, you know, the scene over here, the sort of studiness, the all those kind of little cartoony bits, kind of driving sort of techie bits. And yeah, just a, an amazing tune, really, and one that I've been absolutely rinsing. And obviously, Void Boy runs, uh, he's part of the crew that run the Ansley Mental Music Group on Facebook, and that in itself has been just a an amazing source of music over the last few years. tune is Katagiri. We still love Perfume, so I don't know if you know Perfume, we're like a massive girl band in Japan. They've made some great kind of pop stuff and uh, yeah, this is um, obviously kind of this kind of super nice hard techie kawaii remix of, of that and yeah, when I've been playing a lot of the kind of national disco sets, I'm constantly looking for that kind of driving, uplifting bounce stuff that I mentioned, you know, for the other kind of stuff all over and this was a perfect kind of example of that and the kind of you know, sing-along kind of Japanese style stuff. Uh, Katagiri actually did a mix for um, the National Disco Guest Mix series as well. Another beautiful mix of kind of great Corey. In fact, if you like the 96 Glass one, you should definitely check that out, actually. Yeah, will do. Defo, yeah. I think the problem is because we have all walks from home these days, I don't commute to work anymore, and that's really eating into my listening time, big time. And, and I now need to make a conscious effort to listen to music a lot of the time, you know? Do you ever find that, or are you, are you in the office these days? Well, I'm a mix of kind of traveling to the office. I've been in the office, but I'm just constantly listening to music. Like if I'm in the office, I've normally got headphones on. If I'm traveling, I've got headphones on. Yeah, and I'm almost like just overboard on it because I'm in internal comms and I do a lot of writing. I found I can't write to music that's got lyrics in it, if that makes sense. Um, there's actually really a great um, website called Music for Programmers and it's loads of kind of slightly more minimal but interesting music that you can work to without being distracted to. So I listen to a lot of that kind of stuff when I'm trying to work. Yeah, that's the thing with um, DJs and always having headphones on. You know, you ever at a party or something like that, and you know, like a drinks party, family party, something like that, and oh yeah, cousin Joe over there, he's a DJ. All oh, right, cousin Joe, how you getting on? Yeah, I'm a DJ. Yeah, wear your headphones. And if you can't put your hand on a pair of headphones in two minutes, you're not a DJ. That's what I always think. But I don't know about you, but I've got like at least four different sets of headphones for different occasions. Like right now, I'm wearing my summertime headphones, and in the winter, I go for the audio technical ones because they're a lot heavier and you get a lot better sound on them. You know. Right, I'm just rocking the same ones that I normally use. The annoying thing for me is missing the adapter, you know, the jack to USB-C adapter. I'm constantly losing those around the house and it absolutely kills me if I can't listen to music on the way to work. That is my big thing of headphones. Yeah, one of my headphones, we've got the, the jack is bent because I've dropped my phone or whatever. And it's always that, is it going to break in the port someday or am I going to just keep risking it? Keep risking Will I change the cable or will I just keep risking it? <laughs> about two years. And one day it's going to snap off in the port of the phone. And I'm going to be like, why the fuck can I just buy that $5 cable? Like, you know? <laughs>
not a big fan of mainstream music. You've not got any metal in here. You haven't got any punk music in here. But this is all deep and dirty underground music, right? Yeah, so I, I think I've mainly been more also generally into kind of electronic music or, you know, in some format, whether that's kind of slower, chilled stuff or never really been. I've been into a few bands here and there, but I think how I end up finding sort of what I would, you know, more bandy type stuff is through sort of remixes, you know, like breakcore remixes, grindcore and those kind of vocal stuff. Loads of stuff that's coming out of uh, Japan, Mayasuke, uh, Red Ogre and these other guys do this kind of grindcore, breakcore type stuff. I find that I'm almost sort of pulled into it through through that is that you know that angle rather than the other way around. But even in underground rave music, you're not even going for mainstream underground rave music, except for Square Pusher. Ha, see, Segway. That's what that's what we call Segway in the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I, when I mentioned before when I went to college and I didn't go out raving as much, he was a guy that I went to college with who introduced me to tons and tons of new music. He was always someone who sort of put me on to something I'd never heard before. And he was the one that kind of tipped me on to Square Pusher and an Ultra Visitor. You know, I absolutely rinsed that kind of album back when I was at college. You know, I'm not into necessarily all of Square Pusher stuff. I've seen some sets he's done, the Bang Face one, I saw a bit of that I won't quite feel as much. But it's, it, that's the bits of it that I just absolutely love. And I stumbled onto this one, the Kenko. Taiji uh, remix of it. I think it's an album called something like Japanese style music or something like that. And it, it just took all of the elements that I like the Square Pusher one, but just made it with noises that I prefer, uh, like the chip chini bits and the kind of, you know, slightly ravier style of it. And it, yeah, it's it just an absolutely beautiful tune. Yeah, I can't really think of any Square Pusher tunes I, I really can think of off the top of my head. Come on, my selector. Yeah, come on, my selector's one. Port Rhombus. You know, fair play to Bang Face and all the rest of it, and everyone lifts the big old headliners. I'm still in the Queen Vic. The Square Push will be there, or the Venetian Snare will be there. I'll be in the fucking Queen Vic. <laughs> well, the annoying thing with the when I saw him at Bang Face, well, I'd seen him earlier on in the year at uh, Out Social Club in Leeds, and I absolutely loved it. That he was a bit more kind of heavier and in your face, and yeah, I just I actually loved it there. And then when I went to see it at Bang Face, I only saw a bit. I was just like, you know, when there's other amazing music going on, I'm not going to spend masses of time in here, and I just kind of end up bailing on it. But when they play, when they get Apex Twin headline on Sunday night, though, I think. <laughs> well, I went to see um, Apex Twin when he did the Warehouse project. It was great, it was good, but it, it didn't get into like, it wasn't quite as brutal in some bits that I wanted to go, you know, full on. They didn't quite reach that bit, but it was good. But as a, as a show, you know, the production that goes into it, the visuals that go into it are amazing. And I have a feeling, you know, if it was that bang face, it would look so nice and it'd be just quality. Is it weird, Carl? I think the guy that does the visuals for him, he's like an absolute genius when it comes to kind of visual stuff. So it'd be good to see what you would do there. I know there's one more tune in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always leave silence at the end of these things, just so it doesn't then start running into the next track automatically on SoundCloud. And I thought, oh, was I supposed to do the outro? Was I supposed to do the outro? Shit, did I, I didn't do the outro. <laughs> no, we've got one more tune. This is, this is uh, if you missed your bus, here we go, one more tune. Is it worth missing a bus for? What's this one? Yeah, this is DJ Mayasuke, I think, pardon the pronunciation, it's called Megaton Karma. Mayasuke's been one of my absolute favourite kind of finds recently, or fairly recently. I think he puts tunes out on um, Japanese label called Tanasi, part of the kind of main crew there, with just some absolutely just incredible producers. T. Pazalai, Lawa, or Lawa, I'm probably bad pronunciation of all, Kobayo, I think it's called. But uh, yeah, they just put out some amazing music over there, and it, again, it's just got that heavy, sort of driving energy, loads of different styles, loads of different chunks of it, uplifting, but just still brutal as well. And yeah, it's been a, a, a song that, this has been one of those ones where instantly I know it's gonna be a, you know, a bang on the dance floor kind of thing, as cheesy as that sounds though. I love this one, it's just pure mayhem. I love a bit of pure mayhem. You get this in a loud sound system and just lose yourself to it, you know? Yeah, it's just got that all-encompassing, big, fat sound to it. But as I mentioned, there's a guy called Law, I think he's called Law, L-A-U-R, and he's got 
a kind of similar intensity to sound but probably heavier and a bit more banging and then me and her dear whenever that's out and about it's like a little thing that both of us have been just telling everyone we possibly can get to listen that you know check out that that laugh law loud pop pronunciation his name at least I haven't got crazy characters in the name sometimes you get people with crazy characters like yeah well I mean there's obviously kind of Japanese spellings of, of the artist's name oh yeah sure you put that in Google Translate right but when it's like weird characters like smiley face pizza Oparo triangle squiggle it's like what do you call them you know <laughs> Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still quite hard having an extensive library of Japanese tunes because trying to scroll through when you can't read the language is actually quite difficult. You know, trying to remember names of tunes um, and artists of tunes so quite often. It's the way I've kind of colour-coded or labelled or, you know, when I've played it or when I've got it is a way that I find a lot, lot of stuff. I did try and teach myself how to read Japanese, but I couldn't quite stick at it. But it would it make finding tunes easier anyway. Well, we'll come to the end of the show, Iffy. Hi, it was an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me on. Um, it was an interesting process trying to pull the tunes together and, and, and you know, not just cram eight million in. Um, but yeah, cheers for me on. I know that's the hardest part, is trying to get it down to 15. I think we had 18 in the end, but like I say, it's an hour and 10 minutes, so that's perfect, like, you know. Well, I just kept, like, trying to shrink the list down. I had, you know, folder one, folder two, folder three, trying to get it down, get it down, and I just kept dropping in, one in, one out. And even then I went through last night, and I was like, right, here's the, you know, the tunes I've sent through, and I was like, oh, I should have sent that one, I should have sent this one. But yeah. Uh, and then you listen back to it, and you're like, why didn't I play such and such as well? We'll save that for next time. Uh, cheers for taking the time to set the call and uh, see you uh, sometime in the future, mate. Yep, cheers, mate. All right, see you now. Bye. Cheers, bye.